Well, welcome this morning, and uh, Super Bowl Sunday, you can have a seat. Glad that you're here. This is great stuff. Um, you know, for most of us that are in the room, our team isn't in it. Don't want to just be a bearer of bad news, but our team probably isn't in it. And if you're a Carolina fan, maybe we've got some of those, as Anthony said, maybe an I don't Carolina fan, then we've got some of those kind of people in here, whether you're caring about the game or not. It is a great opportunity, though, to be able to get together with some friends, watch the game, uh, share some snacks, and just enjoy being together, and I would encourage you to do that. That would be a great thing. Well, today is a little bit different. I wrapped up a series last, uh, about a week or so ago, not this last Sunday, the week before, on uh, just get fit. We talked about getting fit with God and what that's all about, and uh, one of the challenges in there was really to... uh, Going to do a 15-minute-a-day-in-the-morning time with God early and get going. So as we kind of move through this year, 2016, I don't want you to forget that that's a part of the process and stay at it. So let me encourage you to be on that 15 minutes in the morning time to just spend some time with God. And if you miss a day here or there, don't worry about it, but just that that becomes a part of your life. That becomes a really important part as well. And we're kind of in between series a little bit, and so today I wanted just to kind of reshape our thinking a little bit about the mission and purpose of our church here. So if you're a guest or a visitor and you're new, this will not be bad. This will let you know a little bit about who we are and what we're about. There are some catchphrases that we use when we talk about uh, Hope Church. We talk about a place for no perfect people things like that. Those are sort of catchphrases, but the mission statement of the church is really connect, grow, and serve. And if you're following along with your notes, that's really the outline today that I'm going to talk about. So you can follow along with me as as I go through that. But it's really, in any organization, we want to make sure we know what the organization's purpose and mission is. And what is it trying to accomplish? And how do I, as a person, get involved in that? How can I become a part of that if it's important to me? We want to make sure that it's a mission that we believe in, that it's one that we want to participate in. And here in the life of the church, it's a place where God uses the church, the people of, that make up the church. He uses the church, the people, to live out His values into our world. He uses you and I who believe in Him to impact the world that we're a part of. We have an influence on the community. We have an influence on each other. We're called by God, each and every one of us, with particular gifts and purposes to use those to serve God. So today I want to talk about the priorities of Hope Church. So the very first one is this. Connect with God and others. Connect with God and others. Not only does this sound fairly obvious to most of us, but it is also essential as it is the core to which everything else that we do hinges upon. About a week and a half ago, my daughter who lives in New York went to Madison Square Garden and she went to a New York Knicks and Warriors game. And Kaylee grew up in the Bay Area, we lived there, and so she's pretty, she is a Warriors fan, she loves the Warriors. And, uh, you know, there are some people who are kind of fair-weather fans, or there are people who kind of, uh, they jump on board the bandwagon kind of fans. Today, for some of us, we might be just, uh, I'm just a fan for a day of this team kind of fans. 
But Kaylee wanted to make sure that people around her knew that she wasn't one of those fair weather people, but that the Warriors really were her team. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Most of us, as I said, are probably fans for a day of the ball game that we'll watch this afternoon. There was a book by a guy named Kyle Eidelman that came out a bit ago that I've read, and it's called Not a Fan. And it's not talking about fans in the same way we're thinking, but it's really a book about Jesus. And the opening line in the book is this, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Suppose I were to write three big letters right up here. If I had a big board, I'd put them on the board. I don't have a board today. But if I was just to put these letters DTR up on the board, would anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? Well, that's okay. The first service didn't either. But I'll give you a couple of hints as we go. DTR. Here's the hint. For a young man involved in a romantic relationship, those letters are often they kind of strike fear into their life and into their heart. He literally dreads the DTR talk. The DTR talk, in fact, many young men will postpone or run away from or put off the DTR for as long as possible. I have known a few guys who have even terminated a relationship because they didn't want to get involved in the DTR conversation. And yet, that DTR talk generally has to take place at some point as that relationship begins to develop. What is DTR? DTR is define the relationship. One illustration I read of a young man who on his first date with a girl was out and after they were having, in the, the, kind of the course of having dinner, she turned to him and said, well, where do you think this relationship is going? Wow, the first date. Too soon? Probably. But the DTR talk, define the relationship talk, ought to come naturally after time. But it's an important conversation to define the relationship. Eventually, every healthy relationship needs to have that conversation. It's no different with God. It's no different with your relationship with Jesus. Define the relationship. How would you define your relationship with Jesus? What is it about? What is that talk? Jesus wants to know who you are, and he wants you to know who he is. He wants to know how you feel about him. Is your relationship exclusive with him? Is it casual, a kind of a weekend thing, or has it moved past that? What would you say your relationship, how would you say it's to be defined? What is the level of commitment for you in your relationship with Jesus? Back to that original question, are you a follower of Jesus? Over the years, there have been plenty of people who hung around Jesus, whether it was when he was here on earth, walking the earth, or in generations and time after that to our day right now. There are lots of people who hang around Jesus, who know things about Jesus. But I dare say that there's a difference between a person who hangs around Jesus and it was someone who is actually a follower of his. Those are different things. I would say that those people are fans. They're fans of Jesus. The dictionary uh, defines a fan as follows, an enthusiastic admirer. We know those people. We'll see some of them today at the game in the stands. 
There'll be people, a guy who's painted his body all different colors and is carrying signs. His hair might be looking like we don't know what happened to him. Stuff hanging off of him, whatever. That's a fan, right? That is a fan. That might be even a loyal fan. That's a fan. Or it could be in the case of a woman who who just researches a particular celebrity that she really, really admires for whatever reason. She buys all the magazines that talk about these celebrities. She knows as much as she can possibly know about that particular person. She knows information about them that maybe they don't even know about themselves. She's well informed of who they are. That's a fan, but she doesn't really know the person. There is a difference between being a fan and being a follower. And that's really important for us to to understand today. Jesus isn't interested in having fans. He's interested in followers. Nicodemus, we've talked about him before. Nicodemus in the Bible was a, a Pharisee, a Jewish ruling council member on the Sanhedrin. He was one of 72 council members that oversaw the religious state of the nation at that time. Nicodemus in his life heard about Jesus, was intrigued by who Jesus was, and it says in the the third chapter of John's gospel that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus at night to find out more about who he was. He had seen and heard some of the things that Jesus was doing. He was intrigued by Jesus. And he saw him as a godly person, but he couldn't put all the things together that he'd heard about him. So he wanted to meet him, and he came to him at night. When you're a fan, there's not a lot to lose. You don't have a lot to lose by being a fan. When you become a follower, there's a lot to lose. In Nicodemus' case, he had a lot riding on a relationship with Jesus. He was a religious leader. He was held up in the community. People looked to him for teaching, for direction. He was committed. He'd committed his entire life to being in this role that saw him as significant in the community. When he spoke, people listened to him. He made decisions with the ruling body that people's lives were challenged by and changed by. Nicodemus had a lot to lose. It says in the seventh chapter of John's gospel that Nicodemus was a part of the ruling body and when they were discussing who Jesus was, Nicodemus spoke up at one point, and Nicodemus said about Jesus, we need to find out more about him before we make decisions about him, to which those that were in that meeting quickly turned on to Nicodemus and said, are you too a Galilean? Because Jesus was from Galilee. In other words, they put Nicodemus down at that point. And Nicodemus has to make a choice right there. He's beginning to take steps to becoming a follower. He's not there yet. But he has a lot to lose. He'll lose his reputation. He'll lose his place on that council. He'll lose his standing in the community. He could be banished away from groups of people. An outcast to the people that he's been leading. He has a lot to lose. If we continue to read and learn about Nicodemus, we know that when Jesus was crucified and all of the disciples spread, they ran away. Nicodemus went and asked if he could have the body of Jesus. He'd moved from being a fan, coming at night, 
standing up for Jesus and taking steps closer to becoming a follower. And we know that Nicodemus, after the resurrection, was a key person in spreading the gospel of Jesus. But it cost him plenty. To follow Jesus, to be a follower, it costs plenty. But we also derive the blessing of God. We live as new people. We live as forgiven people. We live as hopeful people. We live as people with a mission and a purpose with God. Hmm. It's about connection. Connection with God and others. To be a follower is about connection. Connecting to God. When was the last time you could hardly wait to get to church? To get here to share something that God had been doing in your life. You were so excited to just meet up with some people that believed with you. That you wanted to talk about something God had shared with you in His Word that spoke to you. Or that you were able to help another person and you just wanted people to celebrate that with you. When was that the thing that motivated you to be here? The the possibility that you could connect with other people who had faith with you and could lift you up and move you forward. That you dropped pretenses of why else you were here to satisfy a family member, a friend, whoever, but you came because God drew you to this place to connect with other people who believed in God. Well, that's the first one. The second thing is to grow in faith alongside one another. So if you're on your notes, you can just go, there we are. Grow in faith alongside one another. To grow in faith. Some years ago, I was uh, traveling, and I had traveled from San Diego where I lived to Chicago, was in some meetings in Chicago, boarded a plane on a Friday night in Chicago. I mean, the place was packed. It was full of business people from all over the place. The airport was jammed with folks. Friday night, people are trying to fly home, get back to their family and their friends there. The airport was packed. My flight, there wasn't a seat on this plane. It was overbooked. They were asking for people to give up their seats. They'd pay them to get other people that wanted to get on that plane. It was completely full. And I happened to be on a window seat right over the wing. And finally, we were a little delayed getting out of O'Hare Airport and got on the plane. And the plane finally got to the runway and went zipping down the runway and took off up into the air. And we weren't up in the air five minutes before there was a bam off to the side of the wing over here and flames coming out of an engine. And then the plane went, I don't like that feeling. (laughs) My stomach's still up here somewhere when the plane does that kind of thing. I mean, we're holding on tight. And then over the intercom, the pilot goes, we seem to experience some kind of a difficulty in one of our engines. Duh! We're like, we're going to die. Anyway, but so... The plane circles around, and we swing around O'Hare Airport, and we come right back in and land the plane to a huge amount of applause and sigh of relief from every member on this plane. But then you've got a problem because now we're in Chicago on a Friday night with every flight booked. How in the world are we going to get home? And we got off of that plane. I think people were kissing the ground. We got off that plane. They directed us down two gates. 
And we walked as a whole group, kind of holding on to each other, and we walked to this second gate, a gate about two down, and there miraculously was another plane. It was empty. I don't know where it came from on a Friday night. Every flight is booked. And they put us onto that other plane. Now, if you've flown in a plane before, you know that when you get on a plane, and if you've done it a couple of times, the stewards and stewardesses stand up and they pull out the instructions and they walk through everything and they hold up the little deal and tell you to read it. You know, about the second or third time you've heard it, it's like, I ain't listening to that. I mean, you're just like, I know that stuff's not a big deal and you do whatever you're doing. Uh Uh-uh, not on that flight. I'm telling you, when the stewards and stewardesses stood up and told everybody, take this instruction card out of the thing, Everybody had that instruction guard out. We knew exactly what we were supposed to do. We knew where the closest exit was. I knew where I was going. I knew that there was a bald guy in front of me. I'd slide across him and out that door. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. We listened to those instructions because like this book right here, this book has the, this book has the words of life and death. This book has the words of God's Word to us spoken to give us hope and compassion and understanding that God loves on us. And here are the directions and guidelines to live life by so that you will succeed in life and living with God. And know that you can be a redeemed, forgiven, and freed up person. I want those instructions in my life. I want to know that when I open that book, God's going to speak truth to me. And I want my life to be shaped by it. I need to be in patterns where I'm growing and learning. We have lots of those around here. There are opportunities all the time to grow and to learn around here. I love this. This comes from the book of Acts, the early church. And it's about Paul, and then it's a little bit more about another guy. Let me read this from Acts, the the 18th chapter. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Pergia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man. And a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures is what he had. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Now Priscilla and Aquila, these two incredible people, who host the church of Ephesus in their home, took the time to mentor this guy. He was a learned guy, but he didn't have the complete picture, and they sat down with him and explained Jesus more adequately to him. And through that, he boldly took off on mission. But they invested in him. Some of you here teach classes here. You're investing the vision of God into people, whether it's your peers or or students or children 
whoever it is. It's an incredible mission to have to be effective in ministry that way. It says in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, when it's speaking about how we need to respond in our growth patterns. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of the body, his church. I love that. We won't be immature. Don't be immature. Know what Scripture is saying. Know what is true, what God reveals to truth for us. Study, be involved, be a growth person in your life. No longer immature. Taking advantage of of opportunities to growth, like the thing we had yesterday with Ava ministry. Whether it's in a Bible study, a small group, There are many ways to be involved here, to work on finances with FPU, to be a part of Serve the Church Day, all of those opportunities. I can't do everything, but commit to things that will really help you grow at your core. And just a word to parents, get your kids here consistently. There are age-appropriate faith learning experiences for them in that room, in those rooms right over there. And for our students over here. But they need your help to get them here. And they need consistently to be growing in their own faith. That's on us. That's on us. Here's the third and final one. Serve the church and the world. I want you to watch a video. It's about how to, uh, how to walk a, a cat. It's a little bit long. And it's a little quiet. But you'll get it. So fat. Oh, he's just giving up already. Yeah, I'm not moving. <laughs> Monkey, come on, let's go for a walk. Come on, be a sport. Let's go for a walk. Let's go. (laughs) Monkey, come on. Seriously, dude? Come on, stand up. Stand up. 
transformation. That's great, isn't it? So serve. Serve the church and the world. Sometimes for us, when we hear the word serve, some of us are like that cat. We just go limp. I'm not doing it. Somebody else will do it. That's not for me. I'm not qualified. It's not my area. I'm not responsible. We kind of just go limp. We all do anything else. I'm not serving. That isn't the picture or model that we have in Scripture at all. I love the pictures that we have of Jesus and of Paul and the disciples and those followers of Jesus that their lives were transformed by who Jesus was. Totally changed them, totally reshaped them. In fact, for those folks, there is a priority in their life to serve. It's innate in their character. It's almost as if God... God's Spirit showed up in them and, and motivated them to move forward and serve Him. Indeed it is. It is the power and presence of God that drives us forward in acts of service. It's not something that's just ours to pick and choose from. When God motivates us, it's our not only response, it ought to be our eager desire to participate as God calls us forward. Because that's God's activity in our life. That's huge for us to get that concept that Jesus, Jesus always displays what it is to serve. I love what Jesus said in Luke twenty two twenty seven. Listen to this. Who is more important? Jesus is saying this. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Listen to what Jesus says here. The one who sits at the table, of course, then he says this, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. If Jesus declares that service is what we need to be about, that's the calling and commitment on your life and mine. 
I'd like it just to be that I'm connected to God and that I'm growing in God and I could blow off service. That's not God. People who serve have come full circle in their understanding of what it means to follow God. Effective servants are about consistently engaging in God's Word with, pro with productive, strategic, and intentional behaviors. If you're following along in your outline, I just want to highlight kind of four ministry behaviors that I think are really, really essential for the church as well as us as individuals. Here they are. One is intentional behavior. Intentional means that there, it challenges us to think specifically about what we're doing, that it has a purpose. We're intentional in our behavior. We just don't do random things. There is an intent behind that that fits what God has called us to do. That enables the church to become highly effective when we're joined with the church's mission and purpose. The second is strategic behavior. That strategic behavior is, is also purpose, purposeful. It is thinking through. It maximizes the strategic character of our behaviors. The behavior should be consistent with the mission, purpose, and values of the church. That's the strategic behavior. The productive behavior is the third. While ministry is not a business, effective ministry requires that we use our limited resources to produce an important product, changed lives. Changed lives. You should be able to identify how a given habit produces benefit in whatever ministry the church is doing. That's why we evaluate ministries. It's important for us to see, are those ministries on target with the purpose of the church? Otherwise, they pull us in the wrong direction. Is your lifeline and connectedness to God moving you in the direction of God's purposes? Or are you being pulled away by other things that detract from how God created you and what he wants to accomplish in you. And the fourth is biblical behavior. It's possible to be intentional, strategic, and productive, but be outside the boundaries that are provided in Scripture. The guidelines for us to be productive are in light of God's principles and his directives as we find them in Scripture. That's the biblical side. There are opportunities all around us to be effective and productive. And you have to pick and choose sometimes where you fit. You can't do everything. But for some of us, many of us oftentimes, it's just taking a first step into service. Serve the church day is a great opportunity just to step in, be available, meet some people that are serving, be a part of the Easter outreach that we're going to have in the park at Easter, be a part of a team, join in with lots of us here that are going to participate in that way. At my house where I live, we have a central vacuum system. Anybody else have that in their house? A central, I've lived in a bunch of, I've never had that before, but our house had this central vacuum system, which is where you plug into the wall unit, and then you have like this long tube, all right, and then it attaches to the handheld piece with the head of the vacuum on the floor, and with it, when everything is working, it's plugged in, which connects you to the power source along the tube, all the way along that tube and coil. And then right here, you hold the vacuum, turn it on, and it begins to suck up all the dirt and stuff that's in the house that you're trying to 
get through that and out, right? That's what the central vacuum is intended to do. Mind doesn't always work that way. If you don't have that connection in properly, I can be working as furiously as possible over here. I can be pushing the head of that vacuum all over the place, but if I am not connected to the power source, I'm not very effective, am I? Nothing's being sucked up and drawn down that tube and taken it out. It takes all three of those components to be operating properly. You've got to be connected to the power source. Ours is a very sensitive thing, so sometimes you'll be moving around and everything's fine, but it somehow dislodged itself a little bit and it becomes unconnected. I don't have any power anymore. The tube, to me, really reflects on, that is the, the conduit. It is the, it is the means of getting the power through the suction to be able to accomplish what that vacuum's supposed to do. It is the connection, the conduit, and then there is the actual doing what it's intended to do. I would liken that to the connection to God, connect with God. The growth piece is the conduit. It's on us to grow. We provide the avenue for ministries to take place by having an open, growing, healthy body before God. It means that when things get clogged in here, as they oftentimes do, I need to break through that so that I'm, I'm in the processes of God utilizing who I am, so that when I'm out here, down here, I'm actually serving and making connection to the world and to the people that need what I can give them. So there's connection, there's growth, and then there's service. We need all three of those things in our life. That's why we talk about connect, grow, serve. That's what that is. All three of those things have to be functioning in order for it to work. That's what Hope's mission is. Hope's mission is to build into people a place where those who don't know Jesus can come and find out more about Him. It's to connect people in a living, vital relationship with the God that made them, whether they get it or not. And then it's for us, when we're discovering those things, to grow in Him and know that He has a purpose, a dynamic purpose for your life. And if you've missed that, it is never too late to take that step like Nicodemus did to find out and become a follower and not a fan. And the third is that we have the ability and the joy and the privilege to serve a God that loves us. One of my favorite writers and pastors is a guy named John Ortberg. And I was reading one of his books lately that's entitled, God is Closer Than You Think. And in the book, he gives kind of two illustrations, two little stories. I love these stories. And one was they were visiting some friends of theirs that had a five-year-old little, little daughter. And the little girl said, I know that Jesus lives in my heart. Because when I put my hand there, I can feel him walking around. <laughs> Why don't you put your hand on your heart right now? Can you feel him walking around? Mm. The second was this. A woman named uh, Sophia Cavaletti who is a researcher pioneering in the area of kind of how children connect with spiritual things, the things of God. She was doing lots and lots of investigation. 
And to her amazement, she found how perceptive children are when it comes to things of God. And she told the story of one three-year-old that was being raised in a completely atheistic family. No connection to God, no connection to the church, no connection to anything spiritual at all. And the little girl asked her dad one day, where did the world come from? And her dad gave her a completely scientific answer that he knew. But then he added this. Then he said, some people say, it all comes from a powerful being called God. And the little girl started dancing around the room with joy and said, I knew what you said wasn't true. It's him. It's him. That's a kid with no connection to spiritual things. God innately puts a desire in our life to know who he is. And we can cover that over. We can become calloused about it. We can look to other places to find solutions to it. And it's good to investigate all those things, but the truth of the matter is, just as Scripture would tell us, just as we know that we're a living being that God created, it's Him. It's Him that we're designed to be in relationship with. Hey, why don't you pray with me? Jesus, today, some of us are here. We might have come into this place, and we're fans. Maybe we came and we're not even fans at all. Maybe we got drugged here by somebody. But maybe you're here and you, you've been seeing who Jesus is and you've recognized, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm not really a follower. It's not cost me anything. That's a fan. It's really easy to turn and make that transition and be a transformed person by allowing Jesus to come into your life right now. You don't have to wait a week, an hour. You can do that right now by just saying, God, I messed up. I don't want to be a fan. I don't want to be on the sidelines. I don't want to be disconnected. I want to connect with you, God, because I know that's where I belong. I need to be in a relationship with you, God. If that's you today, all you need to do is say, God, just please forgive me. Forgive me of my sinfulness, my ego, my separation for you. God, today I'm taking a step. I'm taking a big step and becoming not a fan but a follower. That's all you need to do is say, Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you come in? Would you be the Lord? Would you be the one that guides and directs me? I don't get it all. I don't understand everything. But would you do that today? And he'll do it. Maybe you came and and your connection to God is doing okay, maybe your growth patterns are a bit erratic, or maybe you haven't settled in and thought, boy, I, I need to take seriously my relationship, but I do want to grow. I don't want to just be stagnant. Maybe today your prayer is, God, help me to grow. Help me to take steps of growth toward you and find you faithful and find you giving me meaning and purpose. And maybe today your prayer is, God, I need to take some steps to serve. I've seen service off my plate and on somebody else's, but today I'm realizing, no, Jesus calls followers to serve. And I want to be a willing servant, not a reluctant one. So God, maybe that's the prayer that we're praying today. Heavenly Father, would you bless our lives today with your presence? Would you remind us of your love for us, the joy that you bring to a life that is surrendered to you? 
God, would you just feed our hearts and souls today because we long to be fed by you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.